This is the Action Network Podcast. And it is good. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. I'm Brandon Anderson, joined as always by Raheem Palmer. We are here to wrap up a wild week three. Today was a day for unders and underdogs. Unders were 10 and 4 on the day, including two by a point each that we will definitely get talking about later. Underdogs 9 and 5 against the spread, yet again dominating six outright wins by underdogs today. We are three weeks into the season. We are down to five unbeaten teams. And just like everyone thought, it's the Rams, the Cardinals, the Panthers, the Broncos, and the Raiders. What are we doing here? Raheem, it looked like you had a big day today. I mean, I didn't really, I wouldn't say I had a big day. I think I did well. You know, last week on the hot read, I gave out the Green Bay Packers plus three and a half. Actually, I gave out plus four. That hit. And then the Arizona Cardinals, that hit. But I mean, I think those were square plays. Inter- interestingly enough, you spoke about underdogs. Well, let me add another element onto that. Underdogs of six or less are 16 and two this year. Ooh. So that's how crazy things are right now. I mean, it's really exciting time in the NFL. Let's get into it. Like we got a lot of exciting games to talk about. So absolutely. Well, we are going to, as usual, run through the entire Sunday slate. We'll do betting takeaways from every game. And then we will preview Monday night football with a pick for that and finish up with our week four hot read and get some early winners as we have been doing each Sunday night for you. As always, odds today are from BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. We're going to start with the big upset today. My upset special from week three, the Los Angeles Chargers 30, the Kansas City Chiefs 24. This is one of those games that went under by a point. We'll come back to that in a second. But the Chargers covered the seven, got the win, plus 250 on the money line. The Chiefs are one and two. Where do we start with this one? I think the first place we start is turnovers. I mean, that completely yep. changed this game. The Chiefs were driving down. They had the fumble by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They had the interception in which Patrick Mahomes is basically Steph Curry in the NBA Finals throwing. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing the behind-the-back pass. But, but no, really, he really went out there and threw a no-look pass. And if he's actually looking, it's probably on target. The Chiefs probably go ahead and score there. And you have too many turnovers. They don't, You know what they say. Teams who win the turnover battle – win 70% of the time and the Chiefs have four turnovers and they were right there. They actually had the lead towards the end of the game. When you look at the, the, the box score, both of these teams played pretty equal. The Chargers, 7.1 yards per pass. Chiefs, 5.5 yards per pass. Yards per rush, it looked like the obviously the, the Chargers were trying to put them in a place to where they had to run the ball. Chiefs had 6.2 yards per rush. If it's not for the turnovers, I think the Chiefs actually go out there and cover this game, but you can't give a team life. But obviously, got to give some the credit, some char- the Chargers some credit because they went out there and forced those those turnovers. And then Justin Herbert continues to be a star, twenty six of thirty eight, two hundred eighty one yards, 
four touchdowns. I don't know what they were doing at the end. Can you tell me what what the oh, what, what was Brandon Staley doing? That that was an absolute mess. So if you missed this one, let, let's see from my notes here. So the Chargers had I think something like second and four with about forty seconds left. Chiefs had one timeout. And look, I'm all for being aggressive and not settling for a field goal. The Chargers are already in field goal range and it's tied at this point. And normally I'm all for don't settle, just keep moving the ball, keep getting some yardage. Now when you're playing Patrick Mahomes, now when you're in Arrowhead against Patrick Mahomes, just run twice, burn the last time out, kick the field goal and get out of here. If you miss it, at least you're in overtime. At least you didn't have a chance to lose in regulation. Instead, they call two pass plays, like three seconds each, incomplete, nothing. So now it's fourth and four. So you bring out the field goal unit, right? No, no field goal unit. We're going for it. So Staley sends out the offense. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Oh, we're just going to like burn a timeout, see if we can get them to jump offside. Sure, sure, whatever. No, we got a false start. So now we're backed up five yards. Now our field goal is long. And now we're still going for it. Maybe because the field goal is too long. I don't know what the plan actually was there. But then they somehow pulled off. Well, the refs pulled off. We got a bit of a questionable, I don't know. I think it was the right call, pass interference. But they definitely got bailed out a little bit. Then you get down to the, into the near the end zone. And for the second straight week, the Chargers score a touchdown that gets taken off the board by an illegal shift penalty on the goal line. Like only the Chargers are able to do this week after week. And then they throw the touchdown when they all they need to do is just run the ball, run the clock down and kick the one yard field goal. And instead, even Tony Romo was like, wow, nice throw. But what are you doing? Like they throw this beautiful pass to Mike Williams. And then, of course, because it's the Chargers, you miss the extra point. So that's where we got the under. The total was 55. We finished at 54. So if you had the over, sorry, you at least had a push coming out of this. But it's the Chargers. So no no luck for you. And then we gave it back to the Chiefs down six. I just thought it was done at that point. The the Chiefs are going to go down, get the touchdown, get the win. But Staley's defense did just enough. I liked what they did early in the first in the first half. Second half, it seemed like the Chiefs kind of figured out, okay, we got into a rhythm. We're doing these cross routes underneath. Just get get the ball to Tyreek and Mecole and, and Travis Kelsey. And it felt like if this had gone any longer, the Chiefs may have really pulled out ahead. But I don't know. Somehow the Chargers actually managed to win one of these things where everything went wrong. I have no idea what Staley and everyone was doing down the stretch. That was the worst I can't say it's the worst game management. That was like the best game management the Chargers have done because they screw everything up even worse than that usually. But I don't know. Did did you make any heads or tails of it? It was just absolutely mind-boggling at the time. Like, I don't understand how you just don't run. You run the ball at the end of the game and kick a field goal. Like, why are you throwing fades? It just, it was so bizarre. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. But I think, I mean, ultimately the story of the game was turnovers. Yep. Chargers scored 21 points after those turnovers. Chargers still have their penalty problems. Chiefs actually had their problems with penalties as well. So the Chiefs turn it over on their first three drives. The Chargers score two touchdowns. The Chargers are good. We all think the Chargers are good. And we're a minute until halftime. And I notice at this point, it's 14 nothing. The Chiefs are driving a little bit. And just out of curiosity, I went on to check the odds. The Chiefs are minus 125, down 14 at almost halftime. The Chiefs, you just can't kill them. The Chiefs are two back in the division now. They are under 500 under Andy Reid for the first time ever, which is nuts. That is really nuts. And they're playing in Buffalo on Sunday night in a couple of weeks. They're going to struggle to win a Super Bowl with this defense, but the sky isn't falling. 
when your defense plays this bad and you turn over four times, but you still have Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid and you still almost win anyways, that's it. That's the cheat code. So yeah, let's move on to what was our big game of the day. Staying in Los Angeles. It's a Los Angeles day. The Chargers got their big win. So did the Rams. The Rams played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, our big game of the afternoon, 34-24 for the Rams. Wasn't even really that close. Uh, That one hit the over thanks to a garbage time touchdown with a minute left. So thank you, Tom Brady, for that. Tom didn't do a whole lot otherwise. This was a Matthew Stafford game. So uh, you were all over the Rams on this one. I I missed this one. I was a Bucs guy here. So what did you see in the Rams? And is this what you expected? This is exactly what I expected. Now, obviously, I expected a little better performance from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But when you look at the box score, it's actually more interesting. Like, I don't, I'm not sure if the box, like the actual score of the game, the 10 point game, is indicative of what we saw in the box score. Tampa Bay Buccaneers had 27 first downs, 6.3 yards per play, 7.1 yards per pass. They didn't do, they didn't do well in the run game, but they moved the ball at will. But the thing I saw coming into this game is that. Obviously, they were they're without Sean Murphy, but he's on injured reserve. Jamel Dean got hurt. They were missing Jason Pierre-Paul. So you're looking at this defense. One of the things I'm starting to notice is that you can have a dominant defensive line. You can have Vita Vey. You can have Indama Kinsu. You can have William Golston. You can have this, these dominant defensive lines, but if your secondary can't hold up in today's NFL, you're going to struggle. And we saw that week one against the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys passed all over them. They probably should have won that game, being that they, they won the turnover margin. But I felt like Sean McVay, he had the blueprint. Like I said last week, we actually did this game on head-to-head on Friday. And I mentioned that teams are passing on first downs, well, early downs, 77% of the time. Last year when the Rams played the Bucks, they did the same thing. So when you actually looked at this game today, on early downs, they actually pat. They actually had 29 plays on early downs, in which they passed. On like, they only rushed 19 times on early downs, so that's where you're going to find success against this secondary. It's, it's really, a, really a problem for this Bucks team. I think I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Bucks are in trouble, and I don't want to say the sky is falling because I think this offense is good enough to carry them through whatever. But if you have a secondary that can't really stop anybody, it's kind of similar to the Chiefs. Yeah, going into the season, the Bucs, to me, had clearly the best overall roster. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. They were the Super Bowl champion, and they brought back the entire lineup. But the two spots that I was a little bit concerned that if the season went awry, the two spots I was thinking it might be was the secondary and the offensive line. And that's right where the worry is starting to creep up. The secondary is not creeping up. The secondary, the worry is here. It is flashing red, and it was rough. And offensive line, not a huge worry yet, but it's getting there a little bit. Brady was definitely under some pressure today. You know, it's Aaron Donald, so no real shame there. But, you know, I noted in the first half, Deshaun Jackson got open, wide open, deep in the first quarter. Stafford missed him, underthrew him. Deshaun Jackson got wide open, deep in the second quarter. Stafford missed him, overthrew him. And I had that noted in at halftime. And apparently Sean McVay did too, because they came right back out. And like maybe a minute into the second half, Deshaun, Deshaun Jackson was wide open again. And this time Stafford hit him. And that kind of blew the game open. That was 21-7, I think, at that point. And uh, the, the Bucks did score again. 
but I, I noted that the Rams, they got stopped the first two drives of the game, and then they scored on six drives in a row. And you do not expect that on this Tampa Bay defense. We think of the Bucks defense as this dominant unit. And I think that there's, you have to give some credit to the Rams offense that has been really good and consistent this season. Uh, but there's definitely a bit of a worry with the Bucks and that secondary, the corners are getting picked on Stafford through four touchdowns. Stafford now has, has had at least nine yards per attempt, all three of his games this season. Cooper cup is just unstoppable. Their connection has been really good there. Uh, I will say too, I noticed what you did, which is that the box score made this look relatively close. But the thing is too, that late bucks touchdown drive was 34 to 17. And the Bucs had a 14 play 88 yard touchdown drive. That was all but meaningless at that point. Cause it scored with a minute left. So if you take that drive off, when you know the Rams are happy to just let them kind of run the clock, then it definitely the box reflects the Rams being the better team as they were. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's it, what would you say, you know, the Bucks and the chiefs, they're the super bowl last year. Of course, they're the super bowl favorites. They both lost today, and we're a little worried about both of them. If you had to pick one of those teams right now to make the Super Bowl, would you pick the Bucs or would you pick the Chiefs? I'm going with the Bucs because I think the Bucs have a higher ceiling. I still think they have a dominant defensive line, and I think their secondary is going to – as these guys get healthy, they'll be better. I think the Chiefs don't have the talent that the Bucs have on, on defense. Now – I want to change courses a little bit because I think the Rams have some issues as well. As great as they look, I don't want to put them up there as world beater status because right now they can't run the ball. And we've seen Stafford in Detroit when he has to, when he has to do everything, when he doesn't have a run game, he can make some mistakes. So I think that's something to, to, to monitor going forward. I think the Rams defense, they have, their issues as well. Like the Bucks were moving the ball. Like I know a lot of this game was garbage time towards the end, but they the Bucks had no problem moving the ball. They just kind of stalled out on drive. So I'm not I don't want to annoy the Rams as Super Bowl champions yet. Like I don't want to jump off that bridge yet. And I want to make sure everybody kind of sees that because I think them not being able to run the ball and the defense not being as strong as it was last year under Staley, we got to hold our horses a little bit. Well, let's go to San Francisco then. That was our Sunday night game. The 49ers hosted the Green Bay Packers. I got to be honest, we put this one on our marquee. And then as it got to halftime, I was like, uh, we might need to move this one down the lineup a little bit. The Packers were running away with this game. Felt like uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams were just connecting anytime they wanted to. It's 17 nothing just before halftime. And honestly, it seemed like it should have been 20 nothing, 24 nothing. This game was over. And then it wasn't. The 49ers came all the way back, went back and forth. The 49ers somehow took the lead. And unfortunately, they left 37 seconds and no timeouts left for Aaron Rodgers, which, of course, is at least 35 seconds too many for Aaron Rodgers. So he gets the ball back you know, on the touchback. One play to Devontae Adams, 25 yards. Another play, 17 yards. Mason Crosby, as always, with the kick. Packers win 30-28. to 28. We hit the over pretty easily on that one. The Packers did finish at plus three. So they covered and uh, were a plus 135 money line. I think we had four or five three-point road underdogs that won outright today. So 
This was a weird one to me. It felt like the Packers dominated and then somehow escaped with a win that they should have won by like double digits. I think when, when I watched this game, it felt like the 49ers just never got it going until they made that the stop. They made a stop towards the, the beginning of the second quarter. I think it was like 10 minutes left in the second quarter. The Packers are driving. They go for it on fourth and one. And then it felt like the 49ers kind of woke up from there. But the thing that stood out to me about this game is that the 49ers really, really, really struggled on early downs. Like they were seven of 11 on third downs in this game. But on early downs, they had just a 44% success rate. They generated first downs on just 22% of their early downs. They had an early down EPA of minus 1.3. Early down passing was a pure struggle, just 42% success rate. It felt like they abandoned the run, and that was the thing that I thought would give them an edge in this matchup. Now, I like the Packers, but I felt like the 49ers would be able to run the ball down the Packers' throat. And they only ran 12 12 run plays on early downs throughout this entire game. So we didn't see that run game really take over and dominate the way they did when they played two matches in 2019. It felt like the Packers, and one of the things that I'm noticing once again is that these teams, even if you have a, a dominant pass rush, they're getting the ball out early and negating and neutralizing that pass rush. And with the 49ers issues in the secondary, I know Emmanuel Mosley came back, but Aaron Rodgers had no problem fitting dimes around him. Jason Verrett is obviously out. This secondary is it's it's really a problem on the level of the Bucks, and I felt like Aaron Rodgers was able to capitalize on that. So I think that's that's the big thing that I see from the 49ers going forward. I know they play the Seattle Seahawks next week, and that secondary is going to be a real issue against Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, it's a problem for sure. And I, I think I would say it's a problem much even bigger than the Bucs secondary, just because these cornerbacks keep getting hurt. Josh Norman left hurt today and didn't get to finish. You know, they're, they're going to have to bring someone else in again. They're, they're running out of bodies, let alone guys who are good. It, yeah, the, the Packers could pass anytime they wanted. Devonta Adams, just, you know, the connection with Rogers is so good. You can just find that soft spot in the zone. I mean, how do you have 37 seconds left, no timeouts, and let Devonta Adams get open in the middle of your zone with like a linebacker practically on coverage? You know, Warner is a great linebacker, but he's, he's not the guy that you want covering Devonta Adams when your only job is just keep it in front of you and run clock. Like, you know, they talked on, on the broadcast, one sack, it basically ends the game. Like 37 seconds you get anything in bounds where it's not going forward. And that's, that's basically it. So the secondary just kept getting burned though. And the other thing too, in this game is it not that this is new, but Jimmy Garoppolo just is not that dude. And it feels yeah. like it's a little bit on him and a little bit that Kyle Shanahan knows it and isn't really willing to let him do a whole lot with it. It was really frustrating right before halftime, 17, nothing, the Packers had scored and then the Niners got a huge kickoff return that put a little life into them. And so they get down into the red zone and I swear they had to have like six plays trying to score a touchdown right before halftime and just doing nothing, absolutely nothing. But they got a, a 
pe- uh, penalty in the end zones. They got even more chances. Kudos to Kyle Shanahan for going for it. Two seconds on the clock, and he skips the field goal and sends my guy Trey Lance out there, who immediately just runs in. Trent Williams blocked some poor Packers defensive back like into oblivion off the edge. And I don't know, what does Trey Lance have to do to get more time on the field? This was the game to put him out there. The Packers' run defense was vulnerable, and I think Trey Lance could have had some big numbers if they'd given him a chance to run you know, more than one play sometime in the game. We, we traded away half of our draft picks, get Taysom Hill for a play. Like it's ridiculous. Garoppolo, credit where it's due. He, he had that late uh, drive, eight plays, 75 yards and a go-ahead touchdown. So, you know, he, he made a couple of big, big throws on there, although tight windows and really it felt more like his receivers making big plays and holding on to tough catches. But It felt like he threw some interceptable passes there. And it he, he felt sure like did. he was... He, he was just super lucky tonight. <laughs> well, and let's not forget, too, that the reason they had to have that drive is because he was getting sacked and tried to throw it away backwards and fumbled it and put the Packers right into field goal territory. And then I certainly thought, so they get the field goal. They're down six, which never do that. Don't go for the field goal to go down six. The Packers should have gone for it. So the Niners get the ball back. And I could have sworn Garoppolo threw it backwards the very next play again. We didn't review it or anything, but they threw like a sideways pass that went backwards out of bounds. And I, I was certain that he had two straight backward passes. Uh, I don't know what's happening here. The Niners, the only reason to me that they were in this game is that they had unsustainably hot finishing when they had to. They were four for four in the red zone. They were 7-11 on third down. And you're just not going to get that most of the time. So this was a Packers win that they really needed to have the way that they had dominated the game. They got it, but I don't really come away feeling great about either of these teams, but you know, I think the the biggest thing, like even like when I'm looking at these EPA and success numbers, it's, it's pretty damning to this four nine secondary. Like I I think we mentioned, I mentioned it before, but the the Packers had a 59% success rate in passing downs. Like, I, I just don't know how you overcome that in today's NFL for the 49ers. So, and you have a quarterback in Jimmy G who he's a game manager, but you're still afraid of him making mistakes. Yeah. No, <laughs> so it's, I, it, it's rough. It, to me, this is just, it's low key, a really big win for the Packers to get this one because they got a two and a one. They're tied with the 49ers. Now they're tied with the bucks. Now after that loss earlier, it's a huge difference from where they could have come into the day, got this loss as underdogs. The Bucs could have been 3-0. They could have been, you know, the, the Niners 3-0. This puts the Packers right back into the mix of things for that NFC one seed. And, you know, if they can get things right, it, it gives them a much better chance. So this is a big one for them. One of those other teams that is still undefeated somehow is the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders went down 14 nothing in a blink at the beginning of the game, had a pick six against the Dolphins, and then came all the way back, took the lead. Game went to overtime, and for the second time this season, the Raiders won this thing in overtime, 31-28 over Miami. So this was a wild one. Derek Carr had a monster game again. Where do you go with Miami and, and Vegas on this one? This was a very strange game because it felt like I'm watching the game, the – Jacoby Brissett drives the Dolphins to the 50. They end up stalling out, have to punt. 
and the Raiders just go right up the field. And it looks like they're going to take away, they're going to take control of this game from Jump Street and put this thing away. And right away, Garrett Carr throws a pick six. Dolphins get the ball back. They score. It's 14 nothing. You, you're thinking at that point the Dolphins' defense is dominant enough to, to hold on to this lead, but Derek Carr is really – he's showing something. And I can't deny that this Raiders offense, they look really, really, really good. The, the defense is a little better. But I think this, this game says a lot about this Miami offense with or without Tua. They're just not providing enough support for their defense. Now, I know Jacoby Brissett, he, he led the – a comeback, but this Dolphins team is in serious trouble unless they can get this offense together. And I don't know if two is the answer. Rosette is clearly not the answer. They're just one of those teams that's going to be an average team this year as far as the Dolphins. The Raiders, it's just I, I can't say enough about this offense. 6.1 yards per play, 7.1 yards per pass. They're, they're just a fun team to watch. Now, obviously, they still can't run the ball, but Passing wise, I'm, I'm they're just an exciting team to watch. Yeah, Derek Carr had 386 yards. He's over 1,200 on the season now, and three games in, he's on pace for 6,817 yards. So we know paces are a little silly early on, but we are one sixth of the way done with the season now. Like that, that's a real pace. That's a higher pace than what Dak Prescott was on last year when he was putting up those ridiculous numbers. So. If you played this one, Raheem and I both had Miami on this one. I think it closed at Miami plus three and a half. This was a roller coaster cover. We oh, got our cover, yeah. but oh my goodness. Miami had to score a touchdown uh, with two seconds left. And then they were down two. And at this point, as a better, I'm just hoping to miss the two point. Just game over. Got my cover. Get out of here. They get the two pointer and send it to overtime. Now you don't know what's going to happen because now the cover is back in jeopardy again. The Raiders are driving down. Raiders get in a scoring position, settle for a field goal. So I'm feeling good again. All right. My three and a half, my cover is looking pretty good. Then the Dolphins come down and they get a field goal. And so now it's oh, we got to back up. Even before that, the Dolphins have fourth and 20 from their old 10. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So at that point, you got to worry about a pick six, yep. a fumble recovery. Actually, it looked like Jacoby Brissett actually fumbled on second down. But they said his arm was coming yes, forward. I forgot about that. So that was like a scary moment. Yeah, and, and he, then he, he connects that the fourth and twenty play to Gasicki, and again, just just anything, anything else, and the game is over. Like literally, the game is over if you don't complete that pass, and we cover. But no, they they keep it going. They drive down. They get the field goal. So now it's like, all right, well, we're tied. The only way we lose now is if the Raiders go all the way down and score a touchdown. They're not going to do that. They would just kick a field goal and get out of here. And then they get down, they start driving, and they're handing it off. And Peyton Barber is suddenly ripping off like eight yards a chunk right down the field. And I'm like, oh, no, we're going to blow this cover again. They're going to let the Raiders just run in. And we got down to like the five-yard line or something. And then finally, mercifully, took a knee and ran the clock down to the last play of overtime and kicked the field goal. We got our cover and get out of there, but man, that that was a roller coaster. <laughs> that, that that was one of that was one of the biggest sweats I've I've had. I looked up and down my timeline because I feel like a lot of the wise guys and a lot of the sharper people, the writers were all on Miami plus four, plus three and a half, and everybody's saying, "Please kick the field goal." And 
it felt like they were loudly gagging with it, but they finally did it. So we got the cover. I think we both gave out Miami last week. So we did. That was that was great to see. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough one. All right, let's pick up a pace with a little lightning around a few other games. One other, even a wonkier game, was the Cardinals and Jaguars today. Arizona ended up winning thirty-one to nineteen, which doesn't really look all that exciting, but. Arizona was dominating early, which of course they were. It's Jacksonville. They're not very good. And then I don't know if you're watching this one, but Rondell Moore is back to receive a punt and he's waiting for the punt to come down. And a referee threw a flag that hit the ball before it came down on a punt. Like that's incredible accuracy. And Rondell Moore muffs the punt. So the Jaguars recover, get a touchdown. And then a little bit later, we're right into halftime. And good old Cliff Kingsbury decides, what a genius idea. Let's kick a 68-yard field goal heading into the half. That'll be a great thing. I've never watched Alabama and Auburn before. How could this go badly? Cliff Kingsbury. So he lines up. He kicks it. Well, he doesn't kick it, but he may as well have because it didn't get to the all the way there. So the Jaguars catch it a step from the back of the end zone and return it 109 yards for a touchdown, tying the longest in NFL history. The Jaguars go up nine in the third quarter. So at this point, I'm on Jaguars plus eight. I'm feeling pretty good about this because we're, we're covering by 17 points right now. And then while we're up nine or up two, I think, because the, the Cardinals score again, Trevor Lawrence, Mr. Interception Machine, decides on a flea flicker to go back-footed, lofts a pick six, just tosses it right over there to the sideline. Just here. Ollie, Ollie, all in free. Just come on, get the ball, run it all in here. Have your touchdown. We don't want to win this anyways. So the Cardinals pull way out ahead again. The Jaguars twice scored a touchdown and missed the extra point. And this game finishes 31 to 19. That's 50 points. The total is 51. So if you bet the over on this one, this is a horrendous beat. You lost by two extra points. And on top of that, the Jaguars had the ball twice inside the 25 in the final five minutes and fumbled both times. Even if you just kick a field goal on one of those, we still get the over uh, my plus eight. I was hanging in there hoping for a touchdown. We had on the final play of the game until Trevor Lawrence turn it over again. Cause captain turnover over here. So we're, we're, we had a new thing we're doing this week. Cardinals and Jaguars is our stink of the week. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. This is the worst beat. A terrible, terrible game. Terrible Jaguars. I don't even know. Is it the over that's the stink of the week? Or is it the plus eight? Or is it just the Jacksonville Jaguars? It, it might be the whole thing. I think the entire... The entire thing is a stink of the week. <laughs> That's hilarious. I got. I, I may have to watch the second half of that game. This was one of those games I wasn't too interested in just because <laughs> the, it's the Cardinals and the Jaguars. But for me, I'm going to go with the Seattle Seahawks and the, the Minnesota Vikings. This is probably one of Kirk Cousins' best games we've seen in a while. It's 30 of 38, 323 yards, three touchdown passes, 128.4 passer rating. It's crazy, but he hasn't thrown an interception this year. When you look at the Seattle defense, it's totally prob- problematic. They're not able to get pressure. They keep getting gashed on the ground. No Dalvin Cook, but 26 carries, 121 yards for Madison. Justin Jefferson, nine receptions, 118 yards. The Seattle defense is completely problematic. 
I, I just honestly, I don't know what they're going to do. And defensively, and it, it looks like this is the team in which Russell Wilson and this offense is going to continue to have to bail them out. But as we saw the last couple of weeks, the offense has truly struggled to bail them out. And part of the reason why is the problems on the offensive line. The Vikings got pressure on Russell Wilson on 55% of his passes, passing plays. And then when you – like, I actually did the game guy for this, for this game over at Action. And coming into this game, we saw last – in week one, they lost their starting center in week one. And then they replaced him with Kyle Fuller, and he was pretty bad last week. I mean, he's he, – Kyle Fuller has a pro football focus grade of 46.1 pass blocking grade of 29.4 that's 29th out of 33 centers so I knew coming in and the Vikings defensive line was going to be able to get some pressure on them and that's exactly what happened now obviously the Seahawks got off to a fast start but as the game goes on this offensive line is just not holding up so I think Seattle really has some problems going forward the Vikings I'm looking at them as one of the teams who they have a chance to win the NFC North for me I'm taking a flyer on that when I look at these, they could easily be 3-0 and right now. Obviously, Dalvin Cook fumbled in overtime in week one against the Cincinnati Bengals on the road. In week two, they had a missed field goal. But to me, this is probably one of the most complete teams in that division, and they can easily challenge the Packers. So when those lines come out tomorrow morning, I think I'm going to be taking a look at them to win the NFC North. I think this is, a, this is an underrated team. So – what do you think about that? You're a Minnesota Vikings fan. Yeah, school Vikings. I got my Dante Culpepper jersey on. I'm celebrating our first win of the season. My fear is I don't disagree with anything that you said, but it is a rough schedule. Uh, Cleveland comes to town next week, and uh, I, I wrote about the 0-2 teams that I thought could, could make or not make the playoffs, and the Vikings were easily the most talented of those teams, but it looked like there was still, counting this one, 10 games that Minnesota probably would be an underdog in. And the Vikings are talented enough to have a shot, but an 0-2 hole uh, with losses to Bengals and Cardinals that were probably the two easiest non-division games on the schedule is just, it's a really steep climb. And the NFC is tough and it's a talented enough team to do it, but this was a good start. Uh, Seattle scored 17 on their first three possessions and then didn't score again. I can't say I saw that coming. The, the, the defense really figured things out. They kind of put Russell Wilson in the torture chamber and they locked up those receivers and got the job done. So uh, I, I like that you're buying Viking stock. I don't know if I'm quite there with you on it, but I'm 0-3 against the spread on Vikings games. So maybe uh, stick with Raheem's opinions on this one instead. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Let's stay in the division. I said a comment on the Detroit Lions who literally invent new ways to lose heartbreaking games every time that they get a chance to. All I have to say about this game comes down to the final 30 seconds of the game. Uh, the Ravens apparently thought it was a bye week. I, they just didn't show up for this one at all. I don't know what you're doing against Detroit to have 16 points, uh, but it's 17-16. The Lions have kicked a go-ahead field goal, and I'm feeling good about my kitchen sink week teams. I sprinkled all some of these long shots. The Lions were plus eight and obviously easily covering that. The Ravens have fourth and 19 on their own 16-yard line, like in the final under a minute to play. On fourth and 19, they throw a 36-yard pass to Sammy Watkins, get up there and, and spike the ball. And then, as we've seen on Sunday Night Football, apparently probably had a, a false start penalty 
or, or sorry, a delay of game penalty. So there should have been a five second runoff. The good thing it didn't because the Ravens bring out old reliable Justin Tucker, who did miss a field goal earlier in the game. Tucker lines up for 66, the NFL record, booms it there. And of course, because it's the Lions, it can't just be good. It looked good off his foot, but it can't just be good. It has to hit the crossbar, bounce like 40 feet up in the air and suspend for like three hours and then just float over the crossbar and knock the Lions out. Here's the thing. Marquise Brown (laughs) single-handedly prohibited the Ravens from not covering this game. He dropped three passes that would have been touchdown passes. If I bet on the Ravens, I think you got to send him an invoice on Venmo or <laughs> <laughs> Cash App or PayPal because yeah. he messed up the money. Like, there was no way in my mind that I felt like they were going to bring out Justin Tucker to hit a 66-yard field goal. <laughs> it bounces off <laughs> the, the goalpost reminiscent of Kawhi Leonard against <laughs> oh, the Philadelphia 76ers. My other game is the Washington football team. we got to stop overrating this Washington football mm-hmm. team defense. Bills went out there, had 29 first downs, 6.2 yards per play, 8.2 yards per pass, 3.7 yards per rush. I know they didn't – the Bills don't need to run the ball, but it's just – it's pretty clear that the Washington football team, their defense is not what we thought they w- would be. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, I love them, but they're not completely wrecking these games. I don't know if you can really bet this team in the in the manner that we thought we could bet them coming into this year. Taylor Henneke is a great story, but he's not the solution for this team. It's bad enough that this defense can't really stop anybody, but this team is turning the ball over because he's forced to do too much. Honestly, I'm out on the Washington football team to win the NFC East. I came into this season thinking that this defense was super dominant, and it's just not that. And I think in today's NFL, you really got to have the offense to match. I think when I look back at last year, obviously – Cowboys had some injuries. Washington football team, they benefited from the Eagles pretty much tanking down the stretch. So this is not a team that I'm looking to back too much anymore, especially with the way this defense is playing. So Buffalo finally showed us a game that was reminiscent of what we saw from Josh Allen last year. He went 32 of 43, 358 yards with four touchdowns. Emmanuel Sanders showed up in a big way. So if this Buffalo offense can, can flow the way they did, in today's game and the way they did last year, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah, the Bills look really good, and especially the defense is impressive. And look, it's just Washington, and it's only Miami last week. But I wasn't expecting the defense to be this good. And you got to figure Brian Dable and Josh Allen are going to come around. This was a game that they started to really show, show some things. So I kind of ruled Buffalo out. I didn't have them in my top Super Bowl tier team. And I'm starting to feel like this might be a team that's overlooked a little bit. We have sometimes that team who in week one gets a big result one way or the other, and then they kind of skews our opinion of them for a while. And Buffalo lost at home to Pittsburgh in week one. And I'm starting to wonder if that kind of screwed up what we thought of both of those teams. I was really out on the Steelers coming into the year, and I was like, oh, well, maybe the Steelers are okay. And they clearly are not. And then the Bills, I was already feeling a little bit low on, and then that was reason to bury them. So I don't know. Do you, do you think the Buffalo the, – do you think the Bills are a bit of a sleeper and have a little value right now? Mm, I do. I actually do think they have a little value. And obviously part of that, once again, is their division. We spoke about Miami earlier, their struggles offensively. Matt Jones is still a rookie for the New England Patriots. And I think rookie, we've seen rookie quarterbacks really struggle this year. Matt Jones struggled against the Saints today. 
And then when you look at the New York Jets, they're a complete bottom feeder of the NFL. So it's almost like we're seeing the same thing that we saw from the Tom Brady New England Patriots, where they just beat up on the rest of the division for 20 years straight. But now it's the Buffalo Bills who are going to be doing it. And I think that gives them value. And I, I see no reason why you shouldn't be taking a flyer on them now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we want to zoom through our final six games to wrap up week three here. So it was not pretty, but the Titans got a stranglehold on the AFC South. They had an ugly 25-16 win and an under against the Colts. Titans lost the turnover battle 3-0, but Indianapolis was yet again terrible on third downs, 3-for-12, and on, in the red zone, 1-for-3. Colts are 0-3 now and effectively two and a half games out on the Titans in the division. So a rough spot for them. We had a trio of three-point underdogs cover and win on the road in the early slate. Uh, we didn't get much offense from the Saints or the Patriots, but uh, Mac Jones, the rookie, threw three interceptions, rough outing for him. And that was basically the difference. New Orleans won 28-13 as a plus-130 money line winner. All three Saints and Patriots games have gone under for the year now. Uh, the Falcons got Arthur Smith his first win in a battle of 0-2 teams. The Giants allowed 10 points in the last five minutes, and Atlanta won 17-14, another easy under there, and a plus-130 money line winner for the Falcons. The Bengals, we mentioned them. They got the win in Pittsburgh, dominating, really, as a plus-120 underdog. Jamar Chase had his third and fourth touchdown of the season. He replaced my guy, Randy Moss, as the youngest receiver ever to get to four touchdowns. Big Ben is looking big washed right now. Cincinnati, 24 to 10. Bengals have a chance to get to three and one when they host the Jaguars on a Thursday night. I don't know if anybody saw that coming. Our last two games, Raheem and I were all over the Browns and the Broncos all preseason. And today is exactly what we thought we were going to get from both of those teams. The Browns absolutely ruined a Justin Fields debut. Nine sacks on the poor rookie. Miles Garrett had four and a half. Jadavian Clowney had two more of his own. Poor Fields went six of 20 with one net yard passing. The Bears' entire team had 47 yards and lost 26 to six. Bad times for Chicago fans. The Broncos shut out the Jets 26-0 in a third straight completely unwatchable win cover under for Denver. They just keep doing what they're doing. The Broncos have allowed 26 points the entire season, and the Jets had one drive the entire game of more than six plays. Ugly football there, but Denver is 3-0 and and getting the job done. All right, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and then get to Monday night. The Action Network podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. And to celebrate the 2021 NFL season, BetMGM is offering a great sign-up offer for our listeners, a $1,000 risk-free first bet. You just open an account at BetMGM and make your first deposit. Then make your first bet. If that bet wins, the money is yours. And if your bet doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $1,000. It's that simple. To get started, just click on the link in this episode description. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the best features for NFL betting, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, BetMGM is compatible with our BetSync technology, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. 
So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right. Well... Monday Night Football, we are here. The Dallas Cowboys, America's team hosting Monday Night Football. They are three and a half point favorites to the Philadelphia Eagles. We've got an NFC East battle. The Eagles are plus 150 on the money line. And this total is at 51 and a half. Raheem, I know that you are in Philadelphia, but you are a Cowboys fan. Where are you at on these two teams? I like the Eagles plus three and a half. I hate it because I'm a Cowboys fan. But when I look at this game, first things first, my model makes this game Cowboys minus one and a half. So I think the three and a half gets some value on the Eagles. First things first, the Eagles are second in run efficiency. They're going to face a Cowboys defense, which is 26. And I think the Eagles are going to be able to run the ball. Unfortunately, obviously, they don't have Brandon Brooks for this game. But I think this is an advantage for the Eagles. When I looked at them last week against the 49ers, they moved the ball but down the field. They just didn't get the points. Now, when you look at this Cowboys team, obviously, they are America's team. You got fans everywhere around the world. The best people and the most successful people on the planet are <laughs> Cowboys fans. You could name them Jay-Z, Andre 3000, Allen Iverson, Russell Westbrook, Shawn Michaels from the WWE. they all Cowboys fans. So, you know, everybody's going to be betting on the Cowboys. This is the bailout game of the week. <laughs> Obviously, the public, they, they might have take, taken their lumps on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this week, some of the other teams. This is the game where everybody's chasing. So, the Eagles are in a great spot here. I think they'd be able to run the ball. Look at the Cowboys. They struggle with mobile quarterbacks. Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. They all had big games against this defense last year. And then, obviously, the Cowboys offense, that's the wild card here. They should be able to put up points. But the thing that scares me is, obviously, Michael Gallup is still out. Mari Cooper's a little banged up. So I'm going to go with the Eagles here to keep it close. It's probably a field goal game either way. But I think the Eagles get it done. Yeah, I'm going the other way on this one. So we're going to go head to head. I'm on your Cowboys this week. And I think that somehow we are still as a public underrating the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't know if this has ever happened before, but Dallas is really good. Dak Prescott is looking great. Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb are looking good. I know it's easy to, to dump on Ezekiel Elliott, but that run game is really good. Zeke's not putting up huge fantasy numbers anymore, but between him and Pollard, the one-two punch is working really well. Cowboys were number three in rushing DVOA offense. So they're running the ball well. And the Eagles are below average in run defense, even with their defensive line that's been good. So I think that the Cowboys are going to be able to run the ball here and move the ball well. Dallas's defense has been better than we thought, too. Micah Parsons, the rookie, has been playing well. 
he was all over the place last week coming off the line and rushing the passer. Trayvon Diggs, I think, has made a leap at corner. And, you know, the Cowboys defense is not great, but we knew they weren't going to be great. But I think that they're at least respectable now. They're, they're putting them in a position where they're not going to Chiefs and, and force the offense to put up 30, 40 points to win this thing. So I like Dallas a lot. They played so far two road games in Tampa and in Los Angeles against the Chargers. They're a field goal away by Tom, you know, Tom Brady and the guys from being two and oh on a really tough uh, first two games of the season. So I think Dallas is a little bit underrated. The other thing is, too, we know the Cowboys offense is going to move the ball and score. I don't trust the Eagles to score enough to keep up against some of these top offenses. They only had three points against the 49ers until the final minutes of the game. They only had seven against the Falcons for almost the whole first half in week one. And, you know, they, they got some points late in those games that kind of even things out a little bit more. But I don't really trust Jalen Hurts yet. I don't think Nick Sirianni trusts Jalen Hurts yet either. It feels like, he, you know, that game last week against the 49ers, it felt like both coaches were just trying to not let their quarterback screw things up for them. And we talked about that with Jimmy Garoppolo, but Jalen Hurts seems like he's in a bit of a similar spot. So the one thing that gives me some hesitation I love the Cowboys to get the win here at home on Monday night, three and a half. I'm like, ah, oh, can you just put this under a field goal? Can you be two and a half instead that that extra hook? I don't love it. I can see the field goal game here, but here's one thing I noted 14 straight games in this rivalry have covered the spread. So these games don't come down to a field goal. Usually they're, they're covering either way. So that means pick the team that I think is better. The home team has won the last five games in the series. I think Dallas is better. Coming into today, the Eagles were at plus 550 to win the division. And if they win this one, they're, they're leading the division. They're two and one and would basically be up a game and a half on Dallas. I think it's relatively safe at this point to basically count out Washington and the Giants. Like this is a pretty big game. This is going to really set the tone for this division. Most of the games in this division are backloaded and don't come until later in the year. Whoever wins this one, I think becomes the NFC East favorite. To me, if you do like the Eagles enough to bet the money line here. I might skip the money line and play the NFC East division. So you're really getting your money's worth if the Eagles do get the win. I don't really want to count the other two teams out of this, out of this division race yet. It's still early. I mean, we're only three weeks into the NFL season. Most of these teams haven't played division games. These teams are going to play each other twice, like all of them. So it's a little early. We're going to have some battles between these teams because I don't think any of them are very good. The Cowboys just to me... They look a tier or two above the rest of the teams in the division with the talent that they have on offense. Dallas, to me, kind of is in the same mix as the Packers, the 49ers, some of those other teams in the NFC. I think the Cowboys belong in that mix. And I don't see any world where any of the other three teams in the division could be in that same breath with those. I'm on the Cowboys this week. They can get to 3-0 and against the spread. You're on the Eagles. We'll, we'll see you. I think the thing I'm struggling with the Cowboys is, yes, they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers t- tough. And I think people are overrating them because of that game. All right. Well, we're going to see it on Monday night. That is tonight as you are listening to this. We'll see which team comes out on top and gets uh, into the driver's seat in the NFC East there. Let's wrap up with our week four hot read. Looking ahead already to next Sunday. We're still wrapping things up from Sunday. We're still got Monday night ahead. But we've been doing well with our hot reads. I think our hot read teams were three and one last week. And I'm going to start out this week because I'm going right back to where we just finished. And I'm going to the Eagles game, but playing the Chiefs. 
Kansas City travels to Philadelphia next week. It's a short week for the Eagles, and the Chiefs are minus five and a half right now. And I know, I know the Chiefs are on 10 games in a row at this point, meaningful games where they have played one score games. This is what happens now. I know, but all the things we just said about the Eagles, they can't keep up, they can't score enough to keep up with the Cowboys. Then they certainly aren't going to be able to score to keep up with the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to move the ball. They're going to score. The Eagles secondary is beatable. Darius Slay is really good, but can't cover everyone. And at five and a half, especially, this is a perfect, perfect teaser spot. That line is going to rise. They're going to lose out on the teaser a little bit there. Uh, this is a great spot to basically tease them and get them just as a money line pick at that point. The Chiefs have lost two in a row. This team is too good to lose three in a row. So this is just betting on Mahomes and Andy Reid to bounce back after the loss, two losses. And uh, I think that the Eagles, I want to bet this before Monday night. Because if I think the Eagles lose to Dallas and maybe somewhat comfortably, then that line will move toward Kansas City as well. So I like the Chiefs there. I really like that one. I think that's that's a really great play. And I think you need to jump on that right now because obviously teams are going to be – players are going to be back in the Chiefs heavy this week, especially if the Eagles lose tomorrow, which I don't think they will. But I think even if the Eagles win or lose, the Chiefs are the side here. You want to get that early because everybody likes betting on Patrick Mahomes. But me, I'm going to go with the – Baltimore Ravens, there's some plus two and a halfs out there in the market. I think there's one plus two and a half you can look for. But there's a plus two, and it's a consensus plus one and a half. To me, this 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 line is flat out wrong. The Ravens are being undervalued in this spot. When you look at the preseason look-ahead line for this game, it was Ravens minus three and a half. Now we're sitting at a consensus Ravens plus one and a half. I know the Broncos have looked like world beaters. They've been downright dominant, winning by an average of 16 points. And when you look at the schedule, they played the easiest schedule in the NFL thus far. They played the New York Giants, the Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets. These top teams are combined 0-6 straight <laughs> up. They ranked 22nd, 31st, and 28th in Football Outsiders DVOA this season. This is a big step up against Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. I know they just snatched victory from the jaws of defeat with – NFL record 66-yard field goal from Justin Tucker. But I think because of that game and the fact that Marquise Brown dropped a million touchdown passes, we're getting some value here. We'll take the Baltimore Ravens. They should be able to win this game outright. Yeah, I like that one. I am interested to see what comes from that game because the Broncos have looked too good to be true, but they keep pushing their lines higher and higher each game, and they keep covering anyway. So I don't know that anyone expected the Broncos to be favored in this game coming into the season. They look good though. And the offense they, look, they looks, look really good. The offense looks better than we thought too. Teddy Bridgewater is actually dialing it up and hitting some plays. So I think that Baltimore is the right side because of what we know from years of Lamar Jackson and that team and John Harbaugh. But if Denver actually can go and get the win this game, then I think we really like right now, Denver is kind of that cute team that we're like, Oh, good. You're beating up on the bad teams. The defense definitely looks good. If they get this win, then I think we have to talk about them a little bit differently, but they're going to have to get the win first. So I, I think, think the interesting right thing side. about the interesting thing about Denver right now is they're actually more banged up than we realize. Like obviously they're missing Bradley Chubb, KJ Hamler, Jerry Judy, Ronald Darby, but this is a game where it, and I actually think it's going to come back and bite. Yeah. So you're going against the Broncos, that three and O team in the AFC. I'm going against the other three and O team in the AFC and I'm betting against the Raiders. 
Raiders play Monday Night Football. Apparently, we, we got the Raiders every three weeks on Monday Night Football this season. I'm not sure what the schedule makers are doing, but they're traveling to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. Both of these teams, the Chargers and the Raiders, are coming off a big win here. Uh, but this line is a field goal right now, and I am just grabbing the Chargers at minus three before the line moves off of that. This is absolutely the team that we're about to spend the entire week slobbering over in the media. Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert. Oh my God, they beat the Chiefs. This is the Chargers world now. Like this line is going to go up. And I think it should. The Chargers are the better team here. They're at home. I love the, the matchup here. Um, I, I liked the Chargers against the Chiefs because of the two deep defense that Brandon Staley plays with on defense. I think it's going to work against Derek Carr and against the Raiders too. They're dropping the safeties. They're forcing teams to check down and to run the ball. That's not what the Raiders are doing well this year. They're not running the ball well. And as much as it's hilarious, Derek Carr has been kept in check down for years, but he's lighting it up right now. They're hitting the big passes down the field. And I think the Chargers are going to be able to take that away from them a little bit. And also the Raiders haven't faced an offense as talented as the Chargers yet either, who can really dial it up, pass on that team. Uh, we know that their defense can be vulnerable. So the Raiders have had two overtime wins now down to like the final play. So that's a lot of extra mileage this early in the season. It's a lot of extra emotions this early. So I like Chargers minus three at home uh, on Monday Night Football to get the job done. And I want to grab that one before the line moves. I like that one. I really like that one. For me, my final pick, I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals plus six. The Rams are coming off that really, really, really big win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I just think this line is a little bit too high. We're looking at Los Angeles Rams minus six. And I'm not sure that should be the case. I, I have this around a field goal, to be honest. I mean, we spoke about earlier, the Rams, they really, really, really have, they struggle on defense. They have a great defensive line, but this is a team that they can be passed on. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they passed at will. Like I said before, they had 7.1 yards per pass, six point three yards per play the Buccaneers actually went out there and they actually had a 53% success rate on early passing downs, 52% on passing downs in general. So I think that Kyler Murray is going to be able to move the ball. And I think he's going to add an element that the Rams haven't necessarily seen this year. They played Andy Dalton in week one. They played Tom Brady this week. They're not, they're not ready for what Kyler Murray has to offer. And Obviously, you got DeAndre Hopkins, you got Rondell Moore, you got A.J. Green. This is an explosive Cardinals offense, so I, I think they should be able to keep it within a number. It should probably be a shootout, but six points is just way too much for this division matchup. I like it. I see a very obvious theme with our hot read this week. There are five teams that are 3-0, and and we are betting directly against three of them. Granted, the Cardinals are 3-0, and so we're technically betting on one of them as well, so someone's got to lose that one, but we're fading the Rams. We're fading the Raiders. We're fading the Broncos. That's how this is going. The, the lines are moving too much to these teams. We're giving a little too much credit, perhaps, to these unbeaten teams early. And it's time to get the old regression monster out and try to even some things back out, I think. So that is going to wrap it up today at the Action Network podcast. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Stucky and Raybon will be back Wednesday night with their NFL betting guide six-pack. Raheem and I will be back Friday for our usual run through the slate. For Raheem Palmer, I'm Brandon Anderson, and this has been the Action Network Podcast. We are on to week four.